I'm chatting to Mr. Gay America, Carl Ian Haggerty, who will be heading to our shores in the next few days to compete in, for the title of Mr. Gay World 2018. Welcome to the show, Carl. Hello, NJ. How are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. All right, let's jump straight in. Over the years, you've been behind some big-name pageant title winners and have a whole slew of your own wins under your belt, too. Is your Mr. Gay America win the first time you've, you've been representing the queer community of America? Um, yes, on the international level. I am a six-time national title holder here in the United States. But um, one of the amazing things about being Mr. Gay America is that it has given me the opportunity to, you know, come to your, to your country, you know, and represent um, America, you know, and I'm really excited about it. So even though in my business as an international level pageant modeling and performing arts consultant, um, I've traveled internationally, but this is my first time representing my country. Okay, great. Now, you say that you are, uh, that you advocate the empowerment and mentoring of gay youth while America, stri while America strives to be on the forefront of equality. You say that in your video. Yes. Um, but the current administration has undergone, uh, has undone a lot of the progress made by the previous administrations. What initiatives are you running to work uh, to work around these these setbacks? Okay. Well, well. Let, first of all, let me begin by giving a little bit of clarity. Okay. Um, of course. Um, President Trump has rolled back um, environmental um, policies. He's rolled back trade policies. He's rolled back some education policies. However, he has yet to roll back policies for the LBGTQ community. Now, he has talked to the rhetoric. You know, let's be clear about that. You know, he he chose the vice president that would want to do conversion therapy, you know, on gay individuals. You know, obviously, President Trump has talked about, you know, not wanting transgendered people you know, to serve in our military. However, um, no laws or bills um, have been presented to our Congress in order, you know, to do that. And so, therefore, I think actions speak much louder than words. And I think part of the reason, you know, that is that because we do strive to be on the forefront and we have a very strong gay community here. Um, we have gay political officials who are now in our Congress, you know, um, Congressman Tammy Baldwin out of Wisconsin. You know, she's an open lesbian. You know, we have um, a state congressional transgendered woman, the very first in our country, you know, to go to Washington, D.C. and be in the Congress. So, yes, this administration, yes, this president have spoken a lot of rhetoric and he have put people around around him to, to have that rhetoric, but, you know, no policies or laws as of yet have been changed. Now, the moment that they decide to put legislation down to try and make that happen, you know, then, of course, you and I will be having a different conversation. I'm, I'm sure you, I'm sure we will. Um, but are you concerned about the rhetoric that has been discussed? Well, absolutely, you know, I'm concerned about it because it is that rhetoric that will um, probably or could start action, you know, about it. And as Mr. Gay America, I do plan to be a voice to make that happen. You know, when I talk about my initiative, you know, working with the gay youth, focusing on career um, development and education, you know, I, let me explain to you why that is. You know, one of the mottos of my program called Project Empower is that in order to make a change, that you have to put yourself in a position to make one. And I think that's the reason why we're not seeing laws change, even though we're hearing a lot of rhetoric, is that because we now have you know, obviously straight advocates and as well as LBGTQ um, people in our country in a position of prominence. And because we have them, you know, positioned in politics, positioned in government, positioned as spokespersons, 
persons and advocates and friends of our community is why we're seeing the changes. You know, President Obama obviously signed hate crime legislation focusing on the LBGTQ community. You know, that was the second law that he signed, you know, in this country when he took, you know, when he became president. And so, you know, and obviously, you know, we have gay marriage. You know, before that, we had civil unions and domestic partnerships. You know, um, so with all of that being said, is that, you know, yes, the rhetoric is there, but it's because we put people in position of prominence of why that has not moved forward. And what my program is doing is telling young people to make sure to stay in school, make sure to get the best education that you can so you can go out and have your dreams come true and get positions and jobs of prominence. So when things like this happen and when we do get an administration like we do, that we're fully equipped to fight it because we have people who are career minded, educated and in a position to make a difference. Okay. Now, today is the 17th of May, and that is in the International Day Against Homophobia, Biophobia, and Transphobia. Mm -hmm. Now, um, with it being, being Idaho, the theme, and the theme being uh, alliances in solidarity, um, how do you value the straight allies within the prominent positions in, in government? Okay. Well, I mean... Obviously, I think part of the issue has to deal with ignorance and lack of education. I think that people sometimes have a misconception of who they think that we are. And I feel that we as an LBGT community have the responsibility to understand that there are people out there who are ignorant. So, for example, when someone says that they don't think that a gay person or a transgendered person should serve in our military, you know, which is obviously a big topic over here in the United States, I don't immediately you know, call them out to be homophobic. I immediately call them out to be ignorant and not informed. And so as a gay individual, the first thing that I want to do is to inform them of who we are as a community, the qualities that we bring just as human beings, that we are no different than anyone else other than the fact that we may choose to love someone differently in a different way. In most cases, and this is what I've realized through my career and through my life um, with straight individuals that I know, is that when they get to know me and they see that I'm just like them with the same joys and happiness and challenges and issues as anyone else, that, you know, our, our journey of life is still the same and we have more in common than we do in difference. And so I think it's with creating that kind of relationship and as a gay individual, not be quick to call someone homophobic or bigoted, um, you know, I, I'm more apt to call them ignorant. And so if they are confused, my job is to unconfuse them. And I think with that education and with that conversation and with my presence as a leader in our community is how we go about making that change. And so therefore empowering, not only empowering our straight allies to always work in our favor, but creating new ones you know, to continue to stop the ignorance and discrimination in this country. Yes. Okay, well, coming back to your youth program, um, sure. or your youth programs, um, do you advocate the youth to enter politics and also to become an educated electorate? Okay, well, actually, I try to empower them for whatever dreams that they, you know, have for themselves. I don't necessarily steer them politically, but I make it very clear to them that they must be politically aware. You know, I, I feel that they need to have CNN and MSNBC on redial every day, all day, as much as possible. Instead of watching cartoons on a Saturday morning, I would rather them watch a news program. You know, when I was a, when I was a young kid, you know, my mother used to say to me, you know, as a black man in America, that it is so important that I'm educa educated and socially and politically aware because she would never want a situation where I, as a black man in this country, 
can be talked around or talked about and not know what the topic of conversation is. You know, I grew up with that mentality. And so with the young people in whom I work with, I let them know that you have to know what's going on in the world. And if there's something that you do not like, you must put your to do so. Um, I do find politics to be very important. And I think it's because we have, you know, LBGTQ people in our government, in Congress. You know, um, we just awarded um, a, a, an outwardly gay individual as the ambassador of Germany to our surprise, you know, that Bush did that. Now, you know, I don't like some of his conservative values, but at the end of the day, he is a member of our community and we do have a variety of political opinions and values within our community. You know, and so therefore, I just have to respect the fact that this administration did, you know, promote someone to an ambassadorship who is gay. Mm. And so I do encourage the young people to fulfill their dreams. And if that dreams happen to be politics, then I think that we should definitely move forward with that. And I, you know, obviously, as my reign as Mr. Gay America, which actually ends in less than, you know, nine weeks now, you know, but hopefully moving on to be Mr. Gay World, that it would give me an international platform to, you know, to promote that. Yes, yes. Okay, so education serves such a huge part of your your youth initiative. How do you actually engage the youth? Okay, well, there's a couple of things that I do. Um, in the workshops, um, you know, that I teach, you know, I talk about mentoring and I'm talking about, you know, tutoring. Like, for example, if someone is, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old, I encourage them to tutor young people who are 12, 13 years old. I also get other um, gay adults you know, to volunteer and to mentor and to teach work and to teach career workshops. A lot of times when people want to drop out of school or when they don't want to value their education is that because they don't have hope and they don't have a dream and they don't have a vision and they don't have a plan of action. And so, for example, by using education and just simply going to school and finishing, getting your high school diploma, getting your college degree, possibly doing a secondary or master's program, you know, you do that in lieu of accomplishing something, you know, even if it's in the theater arts or the performing arts or you want to be a doctor or a dentist or, you know, whatever you want to be. One other thing, too, that um, I talk about in my workshops is that sometimes college is not the answer. Sometimes college isn't for everyone. We have to understand that being educated does not mean that you necessarily have a college degree. You know, there is a lot. You know, we like to say here in the United States that there are a lot of people with a piece of paper, you know, i.e. a diploma you know, who are not the smartest people in the world in many ways. Look at our president, you know. <laughs> and, and so and so I say that to mean that education is about getting skills. You know, we have something here in the United States called proprietary education. Um, you know, um, the old the unpolitical way of calling it is, you know, trade school, you know, where when you graduate out of high school that you pick a particular craft you know, i.e. mechanics or computer science or culinary science, you know, learning how to cook, learning how to sew, learning how to work on, you know, cars and machines. You know, that's referred to here in the United States as proprietary education. You know, if a four-year college institution is for you, then go on and move into, you know, proprietary education and get a skill so you can go out and get a job and be successful in whatever you try to do. So in my workshops, we talk about that. We talk about the goal setting. We talk about making the proper decisions to secure your future regardless of what that is. The second half of that program is the career development part of it, where, okay, now you've made some decisions. Now you're getting your education. Now let's talk about how to use that to impact not only your life, but your community. Because remember, when you are in a position of prominence, people will listen. 
you know, as Mr. Gay America, I put myself in a position of prom, of a prominence and people listen to what I have to say. People look at my social media. I have impacted many of my friends and allies in the straight community because I have now representing, represented something positive, you know, in our community, therefore educating them as well. So these, these are the type of things that we discuss and talk about in my workshops and seminars. And then, of course, you know, we talk about dress for success. We talk about interviewing skills. You know, we talk about dealing with objections, dealing with people who are ignorant and how to overcome that and not only overcome their ignorance, but then how to change them or at least educate them to create a higher level of acceptance and tolerance. Uh, yes, definitely. Now, getting to uh, onto your allies, which channels do you utilize to educate the allies and, and also the community in general? The, 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 okay. the, the, the American people in general. Well, you know, if you go to my Facebook page, you know, on a daily basis, um, you know, I will do a post, you know, on social media, you know, saying, hey, Trumpsters, you know, that's my nickname for Trump supporters. I call them Trumpsters, you know, and some of my some of my friends get very angry, you know, and I would say, you know, Trumpsters, please explain this to me, you know, anything from, you know, you say, you know, your president says that transgendered individuals you know, should not be able to be in the military. Trumpsters, please explain to me the difference between, you know, someone who wants to serve our country and someone who is transgendered. You know, what's the difference there? You know, Trumpsters, please share with us why they're not qualified. Yes. You know, Trumpsters, please, you know, share with me why, you know, your vice president feel that conversion therapy, you know, is something that should be done to gay individuals. And they start to realize the ridiculousness of some of the things that they say. Or even some of their bias. You know, we've, we've had numerous racial issues. You know, I know you talk about the racial issues in South Africa. You, you know, we have racial issues here in the United States with white supremacists and a president here that says, you know, well, they're good people too. You know, those were his words. Yes. You know, and I would be quick to say, Trumpsters, please explain to me how the neo-Nazis, the alt-right and white supremacists are good people. Trumpsters, that's your president. Please explain that to me. And, and you have no idea just by calling them out and, and not being afraid. You know, I'm afraid of nothing. Okay, I can love you and I can be your friend, but when you're wrong, you're wrong. When you're thinking bigoted, you think bigoted. If you are misinformed, you're misinformed. And if you're culturally unaware, I'm going to make sure you get some culture. You know, and so, <laughs> you know, I... I say that to mean that I make that difference with my straight friends and allies by getting in their face, being respectful, but, you know, obviously educating them and calling them out and not accepting, you know, their so-called political correctness. Because if we, you know, accept that, then we're allowing them to get away with their ignorance and therefore, you know, not truly supporting us, not only as a subcommunity, but as human beings, because at the end of the day, we're all citizens of the world and we need to be treated as such. Mm. Um, yes, I, I agree. Um, so it's my understanding from what you discussed this far, you speak of diversity quite often. Now, race, as you said, is a very hot topic here in South Africa, basically because of the ills of our past. Um, mm -hmm. Now, America also has a dark past with regard to race. We do. So my question is, do you feel that you must work harder as a gay black man to get your message accepted in a white, heteronormative focused world? Um, absolutely, 100% without question, without doubt. You know, my, my mother used to say, and you know, my mother was, um, you know, very impactful, obviously, um, in my life. You know, I had a father that was, you know, very homophobic. So, you know, I, I'm very close to my mother and she always have these saying and these cliches. 
And the one thing that my mother used to say um, to me all the time, that as a black man in America, that you have to do twice as much to get half as much. Yes, I agree. You know, and, and, and many black people, you know, in this country, you know, say that. And yes, I deal with that each and every day. You know, when I won Mr. Gay America, you know, I was 49 years old and a black man. You know, and yes. a lot of people wouldn't want to say it, but the reason why, you know, there was a lot of conversation and there was um, a lot of, um, you know, backlash is because I was a 49-year-old black man. And, and, and uh, it was more shock than anything else. I don't mean it in a, uh, in a bigoted, you know, aspect, but it was like, oh, my gosh, they selected him. You know, and, and so I, you know, so I, I kind of had to deal with that. And of course, I worked very hard, you know, to be, you know, who I am and to be an effective Mr. Gay America. But, you know, with this particular title, that was the first thing that, that I went through. Um, sadly, you know, in this country, um, in urban America, you know, um, urban America is always identified with black America. And, you know, that's the first thing that we have to deal with, that if you are a black man, that you must come from a negative part of society, that, you know, that you are in a gang or that you are not educated or you wear your hat cocked to the side and your hat and your pants, you know, pull down your buttocks, you know, and, and yes. that is not the case. But there are still people in this country that look at black men that way. You know, the one thing that really aggravates me as a black man is when someone says to me, well, Kyle, you're so intelligent and you're so articulate and you're so well spoken and you speak so well. And I'm quick to say, if I was white, would you be saying that to me? <laughs> I'm, I'm, <laughs> you know? I'm, a, I'm a bit soaked by that. I'm sorry. I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. So yeah, if it doesn't make sense to me as as a white South African, I can only imagine. Actually, I can't imagine. Let's be let's be honest. I can't imagine what it must be like like for you as a black man. Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. And because of and actually because of this current administration, it has given. You know, um, it has given ownership and permission for people that have embedded racism. Mm. Mm. to now show that racism. And there are many times, you know, when I meet people and I shake their hand, especially if they're older, more mature, you know, white men, that I can tell that I kind of get a little bit of a different look to a certain extent. And it seems like that I have to prove myself even further, you know, just because of the color of my skin. You yes. know, and it used to bother me, but now I wear it like a badge of honor because now I consider it a blessing to use my sexuality and to use my race to really impact the world. But, but because of who I am and, you know, how I tend to be on the forefront of everything that I do. You know, I also have a television presence here. I've done many television shows. I've been a television host here in the United States. And because I'm out and I'm proud, you know, of it, of being an African-American gay man, that, you know, I can change the dialogue, I can change the narrative, I can make an impact on people just based on my position. Yes. You know, and, and I just think that's so very important. So, you know, there's a lot of people that would look at that as a challenge, you know, or a, a, in a negative fashion. I look at it as a challenge to really make an impact that's going to far beyond who I am as an individual. And that's, you know, again, one of the things that I hope to do internationally as Mr. Gay World. Yes. Well, actually, I, I want to stay on this whole this whole thing of race uh, and being a, a, an out and proud gay black man. You are a former Mr. Black America title holder. Am I right? I am. I am. Yes. How difficult was it for you as a, a gay male to uh, to be accepted as Mr. Black America? 
Well, you you know that that's kind of interesting, and I'm so happy that you know that you brought that up because you know there, there's a separate set of racism and discrimination sometimes you know within the black community you know in the past you know the lighter you were in complexion you were considered to be better than you know in you know than a darker person you know within the black community you oh, do wow. still have some of that now but you know it is not as prominent you know the issue that i had in my pursuit to becoming mr black america that there were people that were saying that i was not black enough you know, that I was not urban enough, you know, that, you know, when people hear me and they don't see me, that they think that, you know, that I'm Caucasian, that I'm a white person, you know, and that I did not really have black creds, you know, to a certain extent, you know. So on the one hand, you know, just from normal society as a gay black man, I had to deal with a level of discrimination there. And then within the gay black community, it was like, well, you know, he's a white boy in black skin, yeah. You know, I, I had to go through that as well. So that was a challenge that I had as Mr. Black America. But the reason why it was so important to me to become Mr. Black America is that because, again, in order to make a change, you have to put yourself in a position to make one. And I wanted to make a change within the gay black community to show that a black man can be articulate. He can be educated. He can be well spoken. He doesn't necessarily have to come from urban America. You know, that he can just be a person that, you know, will get politically involved and who's not afraid to step forward and talk about the issues of our of our community of being black, but do it in a sense where everyone, regardless of where they come from, is willing to hear what I have to say. And because who I am as a person and who I am as an individual and the way that I carry myself and the way that I promote myself, I feel that I can better the gay black community, you know, by doing so. When I was Mr. Black America, I had the opportunity to speak to Congress. You know, I was a keynote speaker at the National Justice League. Um, they had a banquet and a social event um, the day that Obama signed the hate crimes law. And I got to be a keynote speaker there and speak to senators and congressmen and members of the NAACP as Mr. Black America. Okay. You know, and so I had the ear of public officials, of leaders in our government to talk about issues of education, talk about the issues of discrimination, talk about social and economic equality, talk about welfare reform, talk about the things that directly not only affect the gay black community, but affect the black community in our country. And being Mr. Black America, I knew getting that title would uniquely position me to talk about those issues very specific to that community. And that was so important to me as a gay black American. Okay, yes. Well, you, you stay in Washington, D.C., if, if I'm not mistaken, right? That is correct. Have you always stayed in, uh, in D.C. or have you, uh, did you move there from wh where you were born? Okay, well, um, I'll give you just a little bit of history. Um, my father is of Irish descent. He's um, part black, part Irish. And my mother is from Central America. She's from the country of Belize, so I'm kind of mixed up. And um, I was born in Chicago, and I'm a first-generation American on my mother's side. And um, I, even though I live in the D.C. area, I do consider myself to be a Chicagoan. I always will. I love the city of Chicago, but the weather is really bad, so I don't <laughs> live there. It's, it's the wind there is called the Windy City. And so, um, you know, it's very cold and very windy um, in the winters. And um, I, you know, I've always considered myself to be career oriented. And so um, when I worked in corporate America before I started working, you know, having my own business, you know, I traveled around and got promotions and I wound up in D.C. due to a promotion as well as to, you know, at a relationship at that time. Okay. 
Now, staying in DC, do you find it's easier for you to get your voice heard by government? Um, actually, no. No, not at all. You, you know, on its face, you would think that, but that is definitely not the case. Um, the District of Columbia um, tends to be very cliquish. And if you are not in the know, if you're not in the right circles, then in many ways, your voices doesn't get heard. And let me tell you one other thing about D.C., which makes it very interesting and very unique that maybe people around the world do not know. Um, D.C., you know, the District of Columbia is not a state. It is a federal district. Okay, so it is a, a a city, you know, I can't even call it a state that even though they pay federal taxes, that they do not have a voice in Congress. You know, their state motto is taxation without representation. Oh, and wow. so the reason, right, taxation without representation, because they are a federal district owned by the federal government. They are not an independent state. So that is the first thing. So even though they pay federal taxes, they don't have represent representation in the government. That's the first thing that um, people around the world may not know. The second okay. thing that people may not know is that 80% of the population in D.C. is black. That's oh. another thing oh, wow. that most people okay. do not know. No. Yes, 80% is black, okay? And then within that population of the black community, more than 50% of that community live under the poverty line based on the standards here in the United States. But yet it is the most powerful city in the free world. Yes. You know, and, and so that's and so that's why I don't think that a lot of people really understand, you know, why D.C. is the way that it is. You know, you it is very much a town or a city or a district. We refer to it as a district of the haves and the have nots. And mm -hmm. so really, in many mm -hmm. ways, the people in D.C., the citizens in D.C., if you are not part of the government more on the mid to higher levels, you really don't have a voice. Okay. Even though you live there. Okay, but so do you feel that other countries' delegates would benefit from the added advantage of having the ear of the political leaders of the country that they represent? I don't quite understand your question. Um, what do you mean? Well, basically what I'm saying is, uh, with you saying that you don't really have the ear um, mm -hmm. they're, they're of government, even though you stay in D.C., there are other countries, for example, um, Belgium which sure. is they are very supportive of the LGBT community and um, they, yes. they, they do listen. The, the government does take heed of what is, the LGBT community is asking for. Do you feel sure. that, that countries like that um, would have an advantage uh, because they have the support of their governments? Well, I mean, any place that you go where the government, for example, I know in South Africa, in 1996, it was ratified in your constitution of um, LBGTQ plus rights within your constitution. It was ratified in 1996. I mean, obviously, you know, that's a very, you know, amazing thing, you know, but your country in many ways is very similar to ours to where we do have laws, you know, even though LBGTQ rights in our country is not in our constitution, you know, it takes two thirds of Congress to change something in our constitution. We do have hate crime laws. We do have non-discrimination laws in the workplace. We do have, you know, marriage equality here in the United mm -hmm. States. So we do have laws that support our community here, you know, but like in South Africa, even though it's written in the New York Constitution, the culture there, the way I understand it still tends to be very conservative, you yes, know, it when is. it comes to LBGTQ, you know, even just being able to show affection publicly, it's kind of frowned on in South Africa, the way that I understand it, yes. you know, here in the United States, we don't necessarily quite have that. We do have a little bit more of an openness to it. 
And so, but yet we still have, deal with the religious right and evangelicals and, you know, the cultural right, you know, here. So we do have those challenges. So I'm more about the laws that we have in place. Not necessarily, you know, what culture is saying, because at the end of the day, it is those laws that gives us the rights, you know, to legally have the happiness in which we deserve. So is there an advantage socially? Yes, but politically, no. Okay. All right. Well, actually, let, let's move off po politics now. And I want to find out from you, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you are actually the oldest delegate at Mr. Gay World this year. Um, yes, I am the old man of the group. <laughs> I am. <laughs> And, and one of your hashtags for your campaign is experience matters. Do you yes. feel that your, your age will count to your advantage because of this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think that that's kind of attested to why I won uh, Mr. Gay America. Let me, you know, begin answering that question by telling you a little bit about Mr. Gay America. Mr. Gay America was founded in 1983. You know, it is the oldest and the most prestigious of the gay male pageants um, here in the United States. You know, part of my journey is that I was first alternate. I was first runner-up at Mr. Gay America in 1995. Okay. You know, and and and, and so you know, I, it's something that I've always wanted, just because again, it gave me the vehicle to do some things that you know are very important. So you know, of, of course, as you know, that I've won many things, and then you know, I you know, God blessed me, and I actually won it this year. And when you look at the, you know, the top 10 finalists there, when you look at my court of my top five, you know, uh, my first runner-up, the fourth runner-up, all four of those gentlemen were amazing individuals. They were all very good-looking, very talented, very well put together, you know. But I think the thing that made me different, that made me stand out from the competition is that I come to any title with the experience. Um, because I've worked in pageantry, modeling, and the performance arts industry for the past 26 years, I understand the business of pageantry. Because I've held, you know, six national titles, I know what it is to use that title to be a political advocate, to be a spokesperson for our community, to make a difference in our community, to fundraise, to work with charities, um, to be a mm. spokesperson for many organizations, to deal with corporate sponsors. You know, um, I'm a singer, dancer, actor. You know, obviously, I know how to perform. I've toured. You know, I've performed. You know, I'm a nine-time national dance champion. I know what it is to compete. And so even though I won from a very competitive field, that yes. my experience mattered. Yes. yes. You know, and, and, and I think that's the reason why I sit today as a 50-year-old man. I will be 51 years old in September as your reigning Mr. Gay America competing with men who I'm old enough to be their father. And I'm okay with that. You know, I embrace yeah. that. I feel empowered, you know, by that. Now, um, am I at the gym six days a week? Absolutely. You know, do I do certain, you know, do I do certain things? You know, to look as young as possible, I absolutely do. You know, we have an expression here in the United States that say black don't crack. You know, that's one of our little jokes that we tell here, you know, and I feel blessed and, and highly favored to look the way that I do and to be able to get on stage in front of hundreds and possibly thousands of people wearing a swim trunk and feel very confident and feel very good doing it. And I've worked very hard. And what my hope is and what my prayer is, is that my experience will show through. You know, when I get to South Africa and they realize that not only do I look the part and not only can I be the part, but I can also be a role model and an advocate for our community. And because of that experience, really take the title of Mr. Gay World to new heights. And I do have every intention of doing that if I'm, you know, blessed and awarded, you know, the title. Yes. OK. I want to stay on this whole um, youth and beauty thing. 
Sure. Do you think that the fixation by the queer community on youth and beauty is proving a hindrance to drawing from the experience of the older generation who actually took to the streets to fight for our rights? Well, absolutely, but I think it goes back to them not being educated. You know, is it a hindrance? Yeah, I, I do think it is, but I don't think that it's done in a negative fashion. I think it's done in ignorance. I think that young people yes. of today, okay. they, they take they take for granted what we as more mature gay individuals did for them to have their rights to get married, for their rights to be able to walk down the streets holding hands with a person that they love without being bashed. And, you know, where we do have hate crime laws here you know, that will put someone in jail, you know, and if they murder someone, that could get the death penalty, you know, regardless of that person's sexuality. You know, I think that our younger generation do not understand what we as older individuals had to do, you know, to get them to that place to reap the benefits of it, you know, and that's one of the things that I look forward to doing is having that conversation and to talk about, you know, the discrimination that I went through, you know, being gay, you know, losing jobs and not being promoted, because of my sexuality, being heckled at in college and being called a faggot and yes. being called a sissy and being called those things and standing up and going, OK, and what? You know, yes, yes. tell me something I don't already know. <laughs> you know, I, I think these young people don't understand the strength that it takes of people like myself and people like you and, and you know, and leaders in our community. You know, in yes, order to yes. make it easier for them. So even though it is a hindrance, I think it's a hindrance based on ignorance, not hindrance based on negative attitude, because I think they just don't realize and just don't understand. Yeah. No, I, I, I fully understand that. I've, I've noticed that even from our side, it's uh, in, in South Africa, we also have a, they tend to forget the past. and. There's a, a wonderful, I have no idea who said it, but someone said, it, if we forget the past, it could happen again. Uh, and they Absolutely. Were, they were referring to uh, the Holocaust. But um, right. the same thing goes for what we've gone through to to fight for our rights. I've, we've, I've found the youth here tend to be very ignorant, as you, as you say, of our heritage, of where we've come from. And uh, with our constitution having uh, come in, into effect, in the, the, the mid-90s, um, the kids today, some of them were born after that happened. Sure. And um, so they don't actually realize just how much of a struggle it was to be, get the acceptance. Do you find that um, the, the youth in America has, they, they kind of forgotten about Stonewall and all the, all the struggles? That the, oh, sure. That all, all the marches mm. and, and, you know, the fights in Congress. And, you know, I'll never forget I was in Texas. And, and again, you know, I'm a registered Republican. You know, I voted for George Bush the first time that he ran, you know, because, you know, I, I'm a small business, lower taxes, personal responsibility, strengthen our military, you know, um, you know, providing more variety in the way that we deal with Social Security and retirement. You know, I'm that person. You know, and, and because, you know, then the social issues were that were just that in many ways they were very separate from the issues in which I just mentioned. And I remember sitting in front of my TV screen watching George Bush come on TV with Republican congressional leaders saying that they want to create a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage. Oh, wow. And I sat in front of my TV set and, and, and I'm not being dramatic. I'm telling you the honest truth that I felt hurt. You know, trade, I, sure. I, I felt like I wanted to cry because I'm thinking I voted for you, 
you know, you, as a black man and as a gay man to vote Republican, that is a misnomer. You know, you'll have no idea the crap that I take from friends from voting Republican back then, being not only a person who's black, but a person who's gay. But my thought is this, stay out of my bedroom, treat me like a human being. I'm worried about my taxes. I'm worried about the economy. I'm worried about, you know, um, education and economical, you know, equality and welfare. Those are the things that I'm worried about. Stay out of my bedroom. You know, that was my initial, you know, thought. And, And so when that happened, that made me realize, Oh, my gosh. You know, what did I just do? And I have not voted Republican ever since. I share that with you to mean that, you know, you have to understand history to know where you want our future to be. Like, for example, here in the United States, you know, we have a holiday for Martin Luther King. Obviously, he was on the forefront. Yes. Of civil rights, you know, in this country, we have Malcolm X, who was on the forefront Mm -hmm. of, you know, equality as well. He was a little bit more militant, but at the end of the day, it is because of their efforts. So in colleges and in universities and in high schools, you know, they celebrate Black History Month. You know, there are classes that you can take in our education institutions on black history, on urban America. You know, so even though there are people who were not born then, they're able to be educated on it so they don't forget why you know, they have the equalities and the freedom that they do as minority people. Again, it's all about ignorance versus education. And so, but we don't have that in the United States. You know, in many universities, you go to more progressive universities, you know, um, that are a little bit more liberal. Yes, you can, um, you know, take a class on LBGTQ history, you know, in your country or in the workplace. But overarchingly, we do not have anything common to educate um, our youth on the challenges that we had as older gay adults, mm-hmm. you know, on what we had to do to get there. And that, again, that's part of what I do. You know, it's interesting. I'm sitting here now with a friend of mine who is a former Mr. Gay America as well. And, you know, we're both the same age. Now, he won it many years ago. And we were just having this conversation at dinner yesterday about how I've spent, you know, my entire year, you know, educating mm-hmm. and mentoring younger guys. You know, who compete in contests and pageants that want to be spokesmo- you know, spokespeople for our community and educating them on, you know, this is how you need to conduct yourself. This is what it used to be like. Mm. This is, you know, mm-hmm. this is our history. You know, so you're talking about, you know, right now you're worried about, you know, these young guys. What do you look like when you're walking down the street? You know, when you're taking your pictures, you know, what do your gym selfies look like? You know, that's what they're focused on. And I'm like, you wouldn't have the luxury of promoting your gym selfies if it wasn't for someone like me paving the way for you. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) You know, you need to understand that. Yes. Now, I want to get back to the whole thing about Black History Month. Do you think you have Pride Month in in, uh, the Northern Hemisphere? We don't really have it here in, in South Africa because we have Cape Town Pride Month, which is down... In, right. in our, uh, our dry summer uh, region of the country. And then we have Gauteng, uh, which is the, 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 the uh, corporate hub of South Africa. We have our, his, uh, our uh, gay, his, uh, gay uh, Pride Month uh, in October. But do you feel that uh, America could do with a queer history month uh, in addition to the, the Pride Month? Okay. Um, uh, well, of course, that would be a benefit. I mean, any exposure and opportunity to educate the, the general public on who we are as an LBGTQ plus community is very important. So, yes, I think that would be great. But we do have something here 
um, that the majority of the major cities here and many of the secondary cities here have Pride Week in their in their municipalities. And I think that's even more important because we have to remember that all politics is local. Okay. And 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 so because we have these numerous pride events, you know, a lot of times you see the glamour, you know, you see the entertainment, you see the drag queens, you see hot boys, you see a parade, you see great floats, you know, you see corporate sponsors that support the community, but you really don't see those pride events in many cases really moving the political bar forward and yes. really, you know, educating people and educating our youth and educating our, our gay allies and counterparts. You know, a lot of our gay allies and counterparts will come out and they feel by the mere fact of going to an event or going to a parade is, you know, in support, you know, of our community. And in many cases, it is, but I think that we don't utilize that enough. You know, yes. so even though I do think that having a gay pride month is important, you know, like our pride events, you know, what do we do with that? You know, during Black History Month here, you know, we do, you know, workshops and seminars and have people speaking and educating. You know, we're actually mm -hmm. using that month to move the bar forward for equality when it comes to race. I don't see that happening when it comes to the LBGT community, that we're actually doing real activities during that time to educate people and to move the bar forward. It's more of an awareness campaign than mm -hmm. it is facilitation. And that's the change that I would like to see and what I would like to make as Mr. Gay World. Okay. Do you feel that, that these seminars and educational events need to be aimed at, at the straight community? Or do you think the, the queer community needs, needs that education just as much? Okay. Well, I, I think, you know, in order to, you know, in order to take care of a community, your home has to be secure first. And so in order for us to make an impact in our general society and a community outside of us, I think we as a community first off need to be unified. Yes. And I think that we and we as a community need to be educated. And I think we as mature gay adults need to understand the ignorance of our and when I say ignorance, I'm not being negative. I'm talking about life experience. You know, our younger gay counterparts just don't have the life experience to understand the plight and the challenges in which we have because they just don't have that. And so I think that we need to take care of ourselves in our community first. You yes, know, and I think yes. that, you know, we need to have, you know, our 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 gay and lesbian organizations, you know, regardless of what country you live in, I think they need to stand together and stand united with one voice. Okay, because yes. then with that one voice and that one direction, then we can go out to our straight counterparts and allies, you know, with the one voice, you know, and in many ways, that's how gay marriage, you know, got passed here is that we as a community with one voice decided that, you know, civil unions were not good enough that we want to have the same legal and social rights as everyone else. And when we did that with a single voice, you know, and when political leaders realize that, oh, my gosh, you know, my best friend's son is gay. You know, my daughter, you know, is gay. You know, we had a governor, I mean, a, a congressional senator here whose son finally came up, came out to him. He was totally against gay marriage. And then when his son came out to him, he changed his position. Now, I do have a problem with that because that does not change who you are as a person. That the only reason why you feel that gay people should have equality is that because your son is gay. You know, I don't necessarily agree with that. But, but at the end of the day, because he realized that someone in his family who he loved was gay, he was able to hear that single voice of equality. So I do feel that we need to start at home, which is our community first.
And then once we do that, that we must go ahead and step out of our community and educate and not only educate our counterparts, but accept nothing less than acceptance. Because my thing is this, okay, now you're aware. Now you have an understanding. Then we need to take it to the next step. What the heck are we going to do about it? And are we going (laughs) to accept anything? Are we going to accept anything less than total equality? And let's talk about the equality thing uh, on one other thing, too. Yes, and um, and I know that you all experienced this in South Africa. Yes, we may have legal equality, but that's not good enough. I want social equality as well. You know, and in order to do that, you can't accept anything less. You know, I don't believe in baby steps. You know, you hear people all the time talking about, well, you got to do things in baby steps. No, we do not have to do things in baby steps. Yes. You yes. know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a grown adult. I expect it to be treated like one. My relationships will be treated the same as yours. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I will accept nothing less. And I think that until we as a community accept the ignorance of some of our straight counterparts, you know, accept it, then take the responsibility of educating them. And mm, then once they mm. are educated and aware, making it very clear that we will not accept anything less than not only your political and government equality, but your social equality, too. Yes. That, that is the process of getting over that hump. Yeah. And I think that if we do that with one voice, that we can make that happen. I know. I, I agree with you. Okay. Well, um, I've... Th- I've been chatting to you a lot longer than I expected to be. <laughs> and, oh, but it's been, no, it's been, so, it's been so informative that I, I, I absolutely love having you on the line. Um, well, and thank you. I would, I would absolutely love to have you back on the show at some point. I would love to come. Uh, because especially now, you say there's nine weeks left until um, you hand over the title of Mr. Gay America. Yes. Um, I would love to actually have you, have you back on the show um, to uh, have a chat to you about your year as... Mr. Gay America, and how it feels to be handing over the um, the reins uh, to the to the next title holder. Um, yeah, you know, here in America, we have state and regional pageants across the country. You know, so you have to qualify, you know, to to win Mr. Gay America. But what my hope is is that when I speak to you after I give up Mr. Gay America, that I will be Mr. Gay World. So that's exactly, what hope is. Exactly. No, I'm sure. <laughs> but I, I would actually get off. Of everything, I want to find out about your trip to South Africa. I want to find out, will will you be taking some time to explore our country while you're here? Um, Yes, um, I actually, you know, I have my final appearance on Sunday, um, Mr. Ohio America, which is our last state preliminary here in the United States that I'm required to go to. And then I will actually park my car at the airport there and fly to South Africa. And it's a 22-hour trip. So, wow. you know, unfortunately, I'll miss the arrival. But, you know, I will get there for everything else. And I know that they have a full schedule, you know, for us when we get there. And, you know, all I know is that I have, you know, three, you know, two suitcases and a carry-on and a backpack and everything, you know, fully loaded to the brim, you know, because, you know, they have so many things that they're going to um, have us do. So I'm sure that we're going to get to see yes. the beauty of the country and get to meet people. So I'm really excited about that. Well, I'm sure you're going to be absolutely exhausted by the time you get to the show. Um, well, I'm, I'm going to sleep. On, I'm going to sleep on the plane. I'll be OK. OK. Well, I'm, I just want to say again, thank you so much for your time. Um, and this has been so enlightening and I'm, I cannot wait for our listeners to be uh, to hear this interview and i just want to wish you all the best for mr gay world
Thank you so much. Right. Well, that, that was Mr. Gay America, Carl Ian Haggerty, who will be in South Africa next week for Mr. Gay World. Thank you so much, Kyle. You're very welcome.